So you've heard me on the show talk about this thing in the past. You've heard me mention the toolkit, right? What is in your toolkit? And we've talked a bit about this. This could be anything from uh, how you light things, like your experience lighting things, your experience uh, using lenses, um, your experience uh, with blocking, you've learned something working with actors, all these little experiences that you can only find and get over time uh, end up being tossed into what I like to call your toolkit. Uh, and we rely on this toolkit all the time as directors, as filmmakers, as photographers, as actors. Um, and we usually rely on it when, when we don't have an answer, when we don't have a good idea. We always go back to that toolkit. Like, how did I do this before? We can't figure out this scene. Oh, there was this one movie I did back when I was a kid and I learned how to hold the camera a certain way. Let's do that again. Or I was doing this scene with two actors and they really sort of figured out how to bounce the dialogue off each other. That was really cool. And oftentimes if you're, if you're smart when you're writing something, you're always going back into that toolkit. Like what did I, what fascinated me on that, on the set of that movie? And I, I, I don't know if you guys are the same way that I am, but there's oftentimes when I'm on set and I wish that I can go deeper into an idea. I wish that I can go deeper into this fascination that I have with a certain aspect of telling stories. And so then what I try to do when I write something new, or if I'm working and concepting out something new, is uh, I try to dig into that again because I've got questions about it. There's something in there. And usually through that process is when we find something very original and we start to to develop our sense of style. We start to develop what we're known for as storytellers because you're just interested, you're fascinated with it. And of course, there's the cynical side of me that's gonna start talking about how we're all obsessed with what camera we're shooting with and what lights we're using and Jesus fucking Christ. The guys, it is such the basic element of it. It's like being obsessed over the type of fork that you bought, you know what I mean? Or being obsessed over the type of pot that you use as opposed to everything else that goes into that pot to make a really great meal. Um, and so one of the things that I've been trying to do on the show, one of the things that we're going to do today is I want to just sort of shed some light on certain aspects of filmmaking, certain positions on the set that we never even think about, right? How often do you walk by, if you're lucky enough to be on a set or work on a film crew, how often do you walk by Video Village and you see that there's like 14 people with head, headsets on, right? You don't know what they do. You're looking over there going, are they all execs? Are they creative directors? What are these people doing? I, I, one of them's a script supervisor. I, I know that position, right? But what are these other people doing? And that's one of the cool things that I want to talk about on the show. So today... I want to get into one of the coolest tools that we have as a storyteller, and that's language. And I don't mean script. I don't mean lines of dialogue. I mean language, the sound of language, the, the, the dialect, the pacing of language based upon culture. And that's the interesting thing is that language is almost a roadmap for a culture. It is a roadmap for a culture. You know, and it, it's, it's a guide that takes you down history, takes you down a path of where it started. And who are these people that speak this language? 
And why do they do it this way? And what are they trying to convey amongst themselves? And what are they trying to convey to people that don't speak this language? That stuff is really interesting. And we're at a fascinating point in media right now where the world is getting a lot smaller, right? With the internet, with Netflix. I mean, you have Netflix programming uh, movies and, and series knowing that there is a world audience for them. They're not just making shit for the US at this point. They're making shit for the world. They're greenlighting stuff in different languages. And it's so fascinating that as an American audience, we've actually got comfortable with reading subtitles, right? Like go back five, 10 years. If someone was looking at a, 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 like, a like a DVD or a VHS in the video store, they'd look at it and go, oh, this is fucking subtitled. I don't want to read words, ugh, you know? But lately, we're into it. I mean, how many of you guys love Narcos, right? How many series have we watched that are like even Marvel movies? How many big series do we watch where entire scenes are in a different language? When entire, entire sequences of a film are in a different language? How many really cool movies are out there where there are multiple languages in, in the same film? And it isn't just saying a word differently. It's performing a word differently. It's performing an emotion differently, right? And you can get real deep in this hole. You can fall deep, deep into this, this hole with language. And I, I think that's why we wanted to do the show. Now, I'm not going to take credit for today's guest. This was a Liam find. Liam came to me with this idea, right? Yes. Yes. It's your idea. Speaking of language, killing it right there. One word. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but he was like, look, I, you know, I just watched this, this new movie called Two Popes, which I'm sure the rest of you have seen. It's on Netflix right now. It's got Sir Anthony Hopkins in it. Uh, who's the other lead? He's fantastic. And I can't remember his name. And it's god awful that I can't. I love him. He's in a bunch of movies he's a great sporting actor and he kills it in this movie and liam's typing in right now so that i don't sound like an asshole and i can say jonathan price he's fucking amazing in this movie um and one of the things that was so really cool about it was the way they sounded was the fact that anthony hopkins like you buy him as a pope right and you know he's sir anthony hopkins i mean this guy's a chameleon anyways but most of the time he's known for that proper English, you know, spoken language. Like we know him as Hannibal, you know, he's very sort of proper. And this was interesting. Like his language helped build this character, sort of this decrepit old Pope. And it wasn't just the shoes that he wore. It wasn't the outfit. It wasn't the way he carried his body. It was the way he spoke. And that was fascinating. And so we did some digging. And uh, we actually found his dialect coach. How cool is that, right? Now, you guys at home should be excited at this point. I promised, we've always promised, that we're going to have some weird people on the show. Um, and before you roll your eyes and go, oh, Mike, I just wanted another episode about gaffing and lighting. <laughs> Open your mind a little bit here, man, because you're going to learn something that is going to go in that toolkit that you're going to pull out later. And I'll tell you what, I'm super excited because I get to learn from this guy. It's the cool thing about hosting the show as a director is that I get to meet these people that I have questions about. And if you've seen my other movies, and there's a lot of new listeners who haven't seen my films yet, 
I did a movie called 12 Kilometers where the entire film was shot in the Russian language, Russian dialect, and I do not speak that language. And it was such a fascinating experience for me telling a story based upon tones, tonality, body language, and being able to cut the story and make a film with, uh, with these characters in a different language. And how that language, how that language spoke or how it was spoken really added to the tone of the film. So uh, it's a good episode. We've already recorded it. I'm very excited. Um, and uh, why don't I just start by introducing our guest today, Aaron Bluestein. Now, uh, we found Aaron online and we went through, obviously, uh, Liam was looking for the guy who was the dialect coach for Two Popes, but it turns out that he is an amazing uh, technician. He's been doing this for a long time. He's worked on movies like uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, for all you young people listening, it's like, oh, it isn't just a movie about two old white guys that are playing popes. He also did Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, he's worked on True Blood. Um, he's worked on a bunch of other really great programs. He talks a little bit about it on the show. Um, he talks about what it's like to teach people how to speak with uh, different accents, how to speak with different languages. He talks about how much time it generally takes him to do certain aspects of this. Um, and he talks about what it's like to be a technician uh, with a, a solid love, a passion for what he's doing, but also understanding how it fits into that cog on that wheel. And so when he should be speaking up and when he shouldn't be speaking up um, and when does it make sense for someone to say something perfectly and when is it more important to focus on the emotion that that person is conveying. So it's, it's, it's really interesting stuff. Um, and I'm very excited about the show. I'll tell you what, I've already done it. I've already heard it. I've learned a few things. I'm fucking pumped with the stuff that I've learned so far. So get ready, strap yourself in for something new, something strange, something fun. Uh, and this isn't the type of uh, guest that you're hearing on all those other filmmaker podcasts. So if you're looking for uh, the newest LUT, or if you're looking to drool over some new uh, LED screen technology, this isn't the episode for you. But I'll say this, because I have a lot of actor listeners, and you guys have been very patient with me, because you've been listening to episodes about the different crafts and the different trades, and you've been learning a little bit about how the set works. Today is an episode for you guys, right? We're talking about toolkit for actors today. So this is really important. And now that I've said that, the rest of you filmmakers out there, you're not off the fucking hook either because if you're smart, you will understand how this trade works. You will understand how this skill can be used to better tell your stories. Okay, that being said, I just want to thank you all for being here. And as always, I want to thank everybody for following us on Instagram, whether you're following me at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or if you're following the podcast official Instagram page, which is in love with the process pod, that's in love with the process POD on Instagram. Uh, we've been doing a bunch of posts. Liam's been making a bunch of really cool carousels lately. Uh, and you guys have been listening and clicking and liking, and it's really important to have this exchange. I got a fucking question, because here's the thing, guys. I'm really annoyed with this algorithm shit. How many of you guys are seeing my posts? I know 31,000 or 32,000 of you are following me personally, 
but are you seeing my posts, right? Has the, is the algorithm showing you when I actually do a new post? When's the last time you saw a new post for me? Do me a favor, just send me a message, comment underneath any of the images and tell me when the last time you saw a post was. Was it this morning? Was it yesterday? Has it been a fucking month? Because I'm curious to see how this works. Because I've got a bunch of theories on how the algorithm is actually working, but I just want to see if I can prove them right. So reach out to me, say something, send me a message, send me a note. If you haven't seen anything that I've been posting lately, if you're like, wow, Mike's been posting? I had no idea. I post every fucking day. <laughs> so if you're not seeing them, then something's happening. So please just reach out and uh, check in. And uh, yeah, let's not, uh, let's not postpone it. Let's, uh, let's dig deep into the art of language, into the art of pronunciation, which I do terribly on this show. I think this is a good episode for me because I, being a person born in this country, barely have a grasp on the English language. So imagine how uh, threatening it was for me to sit across from someone who does. And the thing that's really cool about Aaron is that he's a fellow Boston boy. He's from Boston himself. We make fun of my accent. We make fun of the Boston accent. Uh, It's good. So, uh, all right, guys, you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Uh, Shut out the noise. Shut out everybody else talking around you. And let's just get in deep because this episode's about language. It's about words. And you're listening to a podcast. So get ready for some audio special effects. All right? Noise-canceling headphones. Turn them on. Sit back. Relax and enjoy the new episode of the Mobile Process. Hey, Aaron! Thanks for being on the show, man. It's a pleasure. It's uh, really cool to have you here because this is something that. Uh, uh, I haven't had on the show before, and I think a lot of people don't think about mm-hmm. dialect and languages and how actors sort of process this thing. And I, I think uh, watching the, the, an actor transform, whether it's uh, physically, whether it's with its body or her body, or whether it's with her, with her language, we really sort of take it for granted. And so it's super cool to have you here because I, I think we can get really nerdy on something that a lot of people don't think about. Sounds great. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's catch the audience up. So tell us, uh, from your, from your mouth, tell us, uh, what it is that you do. So I guess you found me because of my work on the two popes. I worked as a dialect coach. Um, people often confuse that as with dialogue coach uh, accent coach, there is an overlap with accent and dialect, but dialogue coach and dialect coach are two different things. Um, so I've been sort of informally doing it since I was 12 or 13. Um, wild. We moved from a very rural area of Massachusetts into Brookline, which was completely different demographic and different accent. And my brother and I got a hold of this, Uh, recording from his third or fourth birthday and we heard it Hmm. and we were like wow we sound a lot different than the kids here it was like oh my god mike i can't believe you got that for your birthday you're so lucky (laughs) and and we realized that 
uh, most kids in Brookline didn't sound like that. And we didn't want to be, um, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb or, or the object of ridicule. So, yeah, so yeah. we kind of made a, an unconscious, conscious effort to not sound like that. So that was my, I was my first client. And um, <laughs> then I got into uh, language in, in high school, Spanish, kind of had this mad crush on this Italian girl uh, junior year who came to visit us in, in Brookline with her best friend and was speaking in Italian about me and my best friend probably completely mocking us and I had no clue what she was saying. So somehow I just subconsciously said, okay, mental note here, you're going to learn that language. No one's ever going to do that to you again. So um, the seed was planted. (laughs) I took this super cool course at, at, at Brookline High School called semiotics. And in semiotics, you actually sort of study the structure of language and you learn about um, how languages overlap and how simple certain languages are so simple uh, structurally and certain ones are more difficult in word order, sort of a precursor to my linguistics training in undergrad. Um, Hmm. And we actually, at the end of the course, I took semiotics one and two, and at the end of two, you had to write your own language. You had to create your own language. Wow. since that was a pretty daunting task, um, I chose something based on, I believe, Swahili, which was fairly structurally simple. And did a semester abroad in Spain. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Because I had been kind of like, I don't want to say floundering, but just trying to find my path. And I did law and Spanish, and I thought I might want to do philosophy. And I studied all these things and then kind of came full circle from where I had started with this interest in language and decided to do Span- a Spanish major, mm. uh, Italian minor, and I did Portuguese and French, and just and I took off from there. Okay, so understanding that now, mm-hmm. um, and understanding that from a young age you had this passion for language, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, from my perspective, it's, it's an interesting thing, and this is what I really want to sort of talk to you about. Language is... I mean, at its base level, it's functional, correct? It's yes. like, I have this feeling, I have this emotion, and I need to translate that emotion to you, you know? Mm. Or like, uh, there's something specific that I need that I need to ask you for, or whatever that is. And then you sort of break into, uh, as a director, I've done this, like, um, I don't think I told you, I did a, a film in the Russian language, and oh, I don't yes. speak I don't speak Russian. Right. So I did a whole movie in that, and it was this wild study in... Um, in uh, in pacing, and it was this really interesting study in the in the uh, tran- transferal of um, power and uh, rhythms, which I found fascinating because I edited a whole movie in a language I didn't speak. I just watched the wide shot and I listened to the rhythms of it, and then I cut based upon the rhythms hmm. of that. So it was it was almost like making a silent film, and then really just listening to the to the music of mm. the language and how it was how it was being played, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, and I think that actually it's a good segue. Um, I think my passion for language was almost like a sublimated passion for music. Um, oh, okay. I, my brother, who plays with Foreigner, he's the keyboard player, um, you know, the 70s, 80s rock. Yeah, band. yeah, no shit. Uh, we grew up kind of listening to that. So, But anyway, so he 
was already fairly accomplished at about nine or ten. I mean, he had been studying piano for a couple of years, and yeah. I started taking piano lessons. And I just remember the vignette was my brother sitting next to me on the piano bench, being it's like, "Why the fuck can't you get this? Like, it's easy, it's simple." And so I was sort of in his shadow and not picking it up as quickly. And there was all the always the sibling rivalry. So I think as kids often do they they scrap something they're not picking up right away sure sure uh interestingly enough we sing together on occasion and he's commended me on my musical ear so i think it was there it was just that whole sibling dynamic that really who knows you know why he discouraged me rather than encouraged me but um so i think it was sort of this sublimated redirected passion for language uh, for music for music and so I did. I dabbled in some piano. I've played a little piano, saxophone, uh, guitar. But you know, when you study a dialect or an accent, and you get to work with an actor on it, there is sort of a jamming kind of thing going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, giving them some clues on maybe what key you're playing in. Mm-hmm. Um, and teaching them a bit of the melody. You talked about musicality, and it's fascinating because people realize, okay, well, there's a different feel. You talked about your experience with Russian, and there's a different feel to every language. But then um, a lot of the work I've been called in to do is Spanish language-based, but I've done Puerto Rican Spanish. I've done New Yorican, which is sort of first-generation New York Puerto Rican Spanish. Ah. I've done Colombian. I've done Venezuelan. I've done Nicaraguan, Honduran, Mexican, Mexican accent in English. I've worked with uh, Dominicans who need that accent in English. And so each dialect even has its own musicality. Yeah. So, for example, I'm working, I was working recently with this um, Puerto Rican actor from New York, who we're working on, a, she's working on a feature film and she needed to speak English with a Mexican accent. And so there are certain pitfalls of a typical Mexican uh, speaker of English, uh, who, Mexican whose first language is Spanish when they're speaking English that they'll have. And a Puerto Rican will have a different one, right? Mm-hmm. She had only two or three lines in Spanish, so we put that on the back burner. But then when she read the one line, I was like, oh, yeah, you sound Puerto Rican. <laughs> it was like the word, the line is in, in, in English, did she have a bag? And, and it's in, in sort of standard Spanish, ella tenía una bolsa. And, and she said, y ella tenía una bolsa. And, and so where her inflection was completely, mm-hmm. Puerto Rican Spanish inflection was completely different than Mexican Spanish or a more standard um, sort of neutral. Right? Fascinating. It's, fascinating. So let me interrupt you real quick. So, cause uh, how does that inflection, is that inflection coming from like uh, a sense of confidence or a sense of history? Like how does, where does that come from? Do you think? That's a fascinating question. And, you know, you and I were discussing earlier just how, languages and cultures are infiltrating one another and then there's an influence on yeah. on you know whatever dominant or 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 subdominant cultural or linguistic group there is will influence the the will influence other linguistic groups so for example uh first generation spanish speakers um in my understanding is as long as we're make sure we're on the same page is that somebody who was born here of Spanish speaking parents, first generation Spanish speakers, when they speak English, 
in LA, there's an influence of Spanish in it. And, hmm. and, and there's even a sort of dominant linguistic group here in LA of Spanish speakers, of, of English speakers who have this sort of influx of Spanish. And my, even my daughter in preschool, sometimes she'll say things and I'm like, that sounds like LA Spanish, you know, <laughs> LA English. Yeah. And so, um, and do you think that, I mean, obviously that must be influenced by how we're first exposed to these languages and like the idols but that it's, we're exposed to. Yeah. And it's languages. also just the multicultural history. I don't know enough about Puerto Rican linguistic history. I know that, um, you know, culturally and religiously, there are influxes of African culture in in Caribbean Spanish. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know the history of all that, but by all means, I mean, above and beyond, you know, how, whether they're chopping off the S's or barely pronouncing them or in which situation that, that linguistic phenomenon is happening, there's a completely different... Uh, there's, there's, there are influences of outside circumstances, whether it's, I mean, who knows, maybe in, in Mexican Spanish, it's, it's from, uh, you know, from Aztec and Mayan yeah, times. We totally, don't know. Totally, totally. Um, I don't have all the knowledge of that, but definitely. So for example, I'm coaching this other actor now who's Mexican. He's bilingual. He's from Texas. Um, and I believe he was born in Mexico and moved here when he was two. So I, I'm guessing his dominant language is English, but he's fully fluent in Spanish. And so he's actually, we're, we're um, doing an audiobook of mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal. So Rafael Nadal wrote this autobiography or based on his life. I don't know. I have only gotten to read part of it, but um, so we're, he's narrating this book and it's supposed to be narrated with a Spanish accent from Spain. And so for example, hmm. Arabic, which has a strong Spanish, um, Arabic strongly influenced Spanish. People don't know this, but like all the jota sounds and the al, anything that starts with al, um, came from an Arabic word. And there's tons of that in the south of Spain where I lived. And, and then there's a bunch of words, azúcar, ojalá, ojalá is basically if only, or let's hope, um, came from Arabic. Hmm. And, so, of course, the Spanish is closer to that Arabic, so it's a little more guttural and there's a little more right, jota. And so when we speak, when I'm teaching him and, um, the Spanish dialect in English, we have, we have to put more of a, an emphasis, you know, on this. And mm. so Arabic influences Iberian Spanish more so than it influences Mexican Spanish, at least the delivery of pronunciation. Fascinating. It is, it is. It's why I love it. I love this word. Okay, so now, right now, is when we take a break. And we start to talk about some important things, some important issues that we have here on the show. And one of the uh, most important issues is that uh, how many of you are actually clicking through on my advertising links? Right? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you were curious enough to click on a link underneath this episode? Was it yesterday? Was it today? 
It better better fucking be today. You better goddamn click on one of my links, one of my advertising links. Um, because these people support the show. They love us. And they want to continue supporting the show. And the only way for them to do so is to see proof that you guys like them. Now, look, I'm giving you shit. Most of you guys do click through and I love you for it. And I see when you do. I see it. So please continue to do so because the sponsors have been sticking around, right? And one of the longest running sponsors that we've had seems like the one that you guys are the most interested in, the most curious about is our good boys, our good buddies over at Puget Systems. If you are a filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a uh, music producer, if you're someone that likes to play video games, uh, if you're like, if you're someone that just likes to sit all day and uh, type in Final Draft, and uh, you need a new computer, you need something new because your old computer is giving you that fucking beach ball of death, right? The pinwheel of death, and uh, you need better hardware. You have new codecs, you have higher resolution uh, images, right? Maybe you're, maybe you've gone from shooting with DSLRs to like digital medium format backs and you need that fucking processing power you need that new graphics card um, but you don't want to break your bank and half the time when you're buying a lot of this shiny new gear you just feel like you're paying for the unboxing experience you feel like there's there's just so much overhead that you're purchasing that you don't give a fuck about right scale back make it smaller and the best way to do so is to buy a pc and i'll tell you what man PCs are like fucking hot rods. You can pimp these things out to be fast and you can actually dial them in to be very specific, which I love about making a PC and building a PC. Uh, but I know a lot of you guys at home are like, look, I don't know how to build a PC. I don't know how to put it together. I'm afraid to put it together. Um, I don't want to get into that. I hear you. Maybe some of you guys out there have your own business and you're like, look, I can build PCs, but I don't want to be tech support. I need good tech support for PCs. I hear you. I did the work for everybody. Don't worry about it. I did the work. I researched it. I looked at all sorts of different companies, and I found these guys at Puget Systems. If you go to PugetSystems.com, you can uh, pick out a base-level uh, PC based upon the software you use. So you can go there and choose, hey, Premiere Pro, here's the actual PC that we start you with. Now, here's where it gets interesting. You can customize that PC any way you want, and they like to talk to you about it. They like to hear from you, so you can actually contact them and, and tell them how much money you have, what exactly it is that you wanted to do, and how do we make this work, and they work together with you. And the cool thing about Puget Systems, even if you're just building your own PC, is that these guys spend hours, hours and hours and days just testing all this new hardware. How does it work with the latest upgrade? How does it work with Premiere and with After Effects? How does it work with Photoshop? How can I increase the render speed? What does this graphics card do for this? They do a ton of benchmark tests and they post all that information on their website. It's a great resource for you. So if you hear about some new graphics card out in the market and the way that they're marketing it to you is like, this is the best thing in the fucking world and it might be great for video gaming, but it does fuck all for fucking Premiere stuff, right? And that graphics card costs a fortune at this point, whereas you get the same performance out of like two or three generations prior, which is twice as cheap now, right? So it's really smart to sort of look at this stuff and go check out Puget Systems. Have them build a PC that works for you on your budget that is going to be a smoke show. I'm telling you right now, everything I've cut over the past five years has been on a Puget Systems PC. So it works. It's professional. 
We've, uh, we've torn down that wall, guys. You don't have to own the big brands to make movie stuff. So check them out, PugetSystems.com. Also returning on this episode are our good friends over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in our industry right now has been LED lighting technology. Everything that you're watching on television right now, everything you see on Netflix is gorgeous. The cinematography is through the fucking roof right now. Um, I, like it, it's, it's very rare that you see something that looks like shit. And a lot of that has to do with LED lighting. LED lighting has really opened up the industry to doing amazing light cues, light effects. Uh, the lights run cooler, like temperature-wise cooler, uh, so your sets are cooler. Um, and they're lightweight, they're easy to transport, they're really cool. And I know a lot of you guys listening to the show are like, look, Mike, I do small productions. I don't do big stuff. They're perfect for that. If you're looking to buy a little kit that is versatile that you can use for a bunch of different things, go check out their tubes. They come in different sizes. They have bicolored tubes. They have um, rainbow, like RGB, uh, LED tubes. They're amazing stuff. Uh, we've had Tim from Quasar on the show. He's talked about it, so go back a few episodes. I can't remember what episode number that was. Was that like 63 or something? No, it was 65. 65, yeah. 65 I know, I ask you this question all the time. It just shows how much I retain that comes out of your mouth. Like you say things that goes in and it just goes out the other ear half the time. That's not true. I'm being really mean there. That's not true. <laughs> I listen to you. Uh, so go check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Who am I forgetting? Uh, Industry Jump. So we have a, uh, we partnered up with uh, Industry Jump to help promote the show. We're promoting those guys. We really like them. They're a great community of filmmakers. Um, and it's, uh, a global community, rather, of verified filmmakers providing the next generation of filmmakers with the resources required to grow their business, learn new skills, and manage their careers. You can sign up for free at industryjump.com. There you can create a verified portfolio, search for film crew to hire on your next project, and learn from top-tier creators in the industry through live video mentoring. So it's pretty cool stuff. I dig these guys. They love the show. They support the show. So uh, if you want to learn more, go check them out. Head over to industryjump.com. Um, also, a great way, like you guys want to support the show, you guys uh, want to throw some money our way, it's totally cool. One of the best ways to do so is to sign up for the free trial at Audible. If you sign up for Audible, if you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process, sign up for the 30-day free trial. If you haven't done so already, sign up for the 30-day free trial. You'll get a free audiobook. You'll get 30 days access to their great content. There's really cool stuff up there. You're probably going to stick around longer because you're going to get, you're going to start binging. I'm telling you, you're going to start binging. Um, but even if you don't, even if you just do the 30 days for free and then cancel, we still get paid. It is the easiest way to get us money, support the show. It's really great. The link will be below. Um, and I've noticed that you guys are doing it. I just got a check the other day. Uh, so that means you guys have been doing it. So. I know a lot of you guys reach out. I love the show. I don't have much money. I'd love to support you. That's the way to do it, man. Super easy, super effective. Um, also, if you're somebody who is looking to expand their business, if you're someone that's looking to get better credit, if you're someone that knows how to spend your money and plan wisely, right, and you want to get a credit card, uh, we have a bunch of deals at inlovewiththeprocess.com backslash sponsors, and there you'll find graphics for our venture Capital One Venture Cards. There's a Capital One Venture Card and there's a Venture One. 
The difference between those two cards is that the Venture card has a $95 fee annually, but it comes with a better sign-up bonus, right? Here are the details. Uh, you earn unlimited two miles per dollar for every purchase every day. And for signing up, you get 50,000 bonus miles when you spend $3,000 or more on purchases within the first three months of opening the account. So for instance, if you are uh, a videographer or a photographer and you need to rent a bunch of gear and your client's going to pay you for that gear, right? So let's say you have a budget for $3,000 for camera gear for this job that you're going to do, that you're going to get reimbursed on, get this credit card, put it on that credit card, uh, get that gear, you'll get that sign-up bonus, you'll pay it off right away so you don't have to pay any interest on it, and then you'll get $500 towards travel anywhere, which is super cool. And that could be lift rides, that could be hotel expenses, all sorts of shit. Be smart about it. But keep in mind that this has a $95 a year annual fee to it. So after the first year, you pay $95 to keep this card. So if you have a lot of cash going through that card because of these, it makes a lot of sense. But if you're someone that doesn't spend a lot um, and you don't want to deal with that annual fee, sign up for the Venture One card, which is the second one. And what you get from that is 1.25 miles per dollar on every purchase every day. And you earn 20,000 bonus miles when you spend $1,000 on purchases within the first three months from opening that account. So you get $200 to travel. Does it make sense? Do you guys see what I'm selling you here? Uh, the good thing is, is that everybody that we refer to do so, we get a nice little chunk from those guys. So it's a good way to help us pay for a bunch of our expenses. And if you're going to get a credit card anyway, good to go. And be fucking responsible for the love of God. Be responsible when you do so. All right? I don't want to be that guy that uh, has you living in squalor. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's what's up. Thanks for supporting us, and uh, let's get right back into it. Let's get back into the show. Thanks, guys. So, okay, so then uh, from your perspective, how do you, how, how are you finding a basis for these things? Is there like a specific rule book for how it's supposed to sound in certain areas? Like, how, like what's your base level for well, these things? It depends on the language. It depends on the accent. It depends on the region. So, for example, I'm much more well-versed in Iberian Spanish um, and probably more specifically from Andalusia, from the south of Spain, because of my experience living there. Got it. Um, but I've also been living in LA for eight years now. So then, the the sort of the dominant linguistic Spanish linguistic group would be Mexican. But my wife's family is Honduran, so I pick up things wherever I go. And and if I'm hired, I've never been to Venezuela, but I was hired last year to coach a Mexican actor on 
Venezuelan Spanish, in Spanish. Hmm. And so here's this gringo from Boston, you know, like a <laughs> Eastern European Jew, basically, white skin, you know, half, right. de- half dead looking, and, you know, clear <laughs> eyes. And, and most times they either think I'm a gringo or maybe I'm Argentine or maybe somewhere in, you know, remote South America, but definitely not necessarily a Spanish speaker. But then, so if I'm going to go teach a native Spanish-speaking Mexican accomplished actor on an accent, I damn well better be prepared. Yeah, hell yeah. So I do my homework. If I'm not familiar with the sound, I train myself in the sound. I, you know, Obviously nowadays with the internet, you can find things fairly easily. There are certain resources that are um, will give you standard uh, accents from specific regions. I, I'm fortunate enough to have lived in a lot of places worked in a different a bunch of different realms that I actually know people you know in a lot of different countries a lot of different cities and I'm able to tap into that and I love it because mm. I get to be like I get to be a detective yeah and um and 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 one of the things I think I pride myself in regardless of whether it's language based or not is being resourceful and so I you know do I know somebody who knows somebody who's in Pittsburgh who can you know, give me a crash course on a Pittsburgh accent? Or, wait a second, who do I know that's a native Thai speaker who can record this line for me so I can coach this actor on this? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. who can also, um, after I've listened to it 30 times and repeated it 100 times, um, who can then check up my Thai? And it's not going to sound like a Bangkok native, but could a, could a, a Thai person understand what I'm saying in that yeah, situation? Totally. You know, oh, and so I had to learn this line in Thai for a Corona commercial. <laughs> and it was basically like, oh, I come from where Corona comes from. You know, it's this silly commercial for a Mexico sure. City audience. It was a blast because we did like eight languages. And, Super cool. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm going to get paid to um, to teach somebody something, I, I better know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Now, on the flip side, what happens sometimes if there are too many cooks in the kitchen, which on occasion can happen, everyone wants to put their two cents in, and you've already chosen a sound, and, you know, it's sort of about, as my agent says, you know, it's about reading the room. Mm-hmm. You know, when do you let go when do you push when do you put your foot down mm-hmm. and with anthony hopkins you don't put your foot down <laughs> i imagine so, yeah, yeah i imagine so that was i i kind of sussed that out and was looking back the the sound editor and i were looking back and forth and she's like no i think we're gonna let that one go i think we're good now we can go on with the next and so uh yeah i mean it, another thing i learned from my uh so i basically i've one agent whom I met, I don't know, eight years ago. I've actually never met her in person, uh, mm. but I sought out dialect coaching agents. And she was at the time based in Montana. Now she's in New York. And she has an assistant here in LA whom I've met. And actually I work much more closely with her now. But one of the things I learned from her, which is really tough, as obviously I've got passion about this. I care. You want to get it right. You want to get it 100% right. Is that... Um, you not you're not always going to get there and what is what is okay and what's good enough where everyone is kind of happy sure and you're not you know anthony's not throwing 
I don't know, a book at me or, or something. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're a tool for him. So, like, he's exactly. there and he's still controlling his performance and he's still taking what he needs out of you and he still wants to feel a certain way. So, I, it totally makes, I mean, that's filmmaking in general. Like, if you're, unless you're the person at the top, you're essentially presenting options and that person at the top is choosing those options. And it's a hard thing to sort of wrap your head around in any department, whether you're in lighting or whether you're in anything. You, with time and experience, you realize yeah. that, look, I'm super fucking excited about doing this yeah. one thing, but it doesn't necessarily add to the whole picture. And maybe I have to dial it back. And, you know, and I think that there are also sort of um, micro industries, you know, so, so, or it's funny because I'm also really passionate about gardening and I'm learning about microclimates in my, like, not only what is the weather in Burbank, but what's the weather in my backyard, right? <laughs> and so I know it's not exactly the same thing, but there's sort of, okay, so in, how does it work in video games? I recently did this video game and, and how many lines do you do in, one, in a four-hour session versus post-production ADR with Anthony Hopkins in Italian mm-hmm. or in Latin? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are paces that are different. And then there are, um, there's a level of expectations that's different. There's also investment. And so ideally, you know, in the best case scenario, I'll be called in pre-production. I'll get to work with some of the actors, maybe do a seminar or do some private coaching and then be there on set throughout the production. And that doesn't always happen. Yeah. And that, that way you have a larger footprint or at least you're present for more of the delivery of that sound. Uh, sometimes you're called in in post-production when they've already done the film. You know, in the case of The Two Popes, it was two days. So I did one day Italian, one day Latin. Um, I've done a, a, a good bit of ADR. Um, and, and at that yeah. point, you're really just trying to to get it more decipherable or, or you know, or write on if you can with the, the right client who didn't hadn't had the right direction. Sure. Um that's fascinating because I just saw that recently. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. I thought it was fantastic. And so most of the work you did on that was in, in the ADR stages. So you were just trying to sweeten up what he was physically saying? Well, essentially, you know, so um, Anthony was a lot of fun to work with. I mean, he definitely had us in stitches. And, and he did this Marlon Brando impersonation in The Godfather. And he and I, apparently Marlon Brando found out about that. Really? And so he called him and he's like, yeah. I, I can't do him, but you know, I, I heard you know I heard you had a you do a good imitation of me basically. And he called up um, Anthony and they talked, and um, <laughs> so he did this for us and had us in stitches. And you know, the day of Italian was pretty smooth. Uh, Latin was a little more of a challenge, um, but he basically was obviously he's an incredibly talented uh, actor. Um, but he said, you know, Aaron, you know, I wasn't great at language in school. Um, which was a little surprising because he's so musically inclined. And mm-hmm. in fact, in the film, he, you see him playing piano and, and there's an original tune or two of his. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's a very talented piano player. Oh, I had no idea. So, um, so it depends, you know, uh, in that case, in ADR, yeah, you're trying to get, you know, as, as Becky said, just about seven out of ten there. We're just going for seven. <laughs> so if you're happy with seven, so if I'm pushing and I'm just insisting on 10 and perfection, then I'll be out of a job. Sure. So <laughs> sure. again, back to reading the room, Yeah. you know, and as a purist and, and a perfectionist, you, you want to get that sound out of the, out of the, the client, the, the guinea pig, the student, right? Um, and there's so many factors at stake. So a lot of us have seen, we've all seen something where you say, oh, you know, that sounds a little off. And so, well, I don't want to throw coaches under the bus. Was there a coach? Um, 
how much prep time did the coach have with the actor? Of course. Did the actor do his or her homework? Um, does the director not even really know what the authentic sound is? I, I don't want to throw any of you guys under the bus. Dude, but, I, I, dude, then, I, I did a whole movie in a language that I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, and yeah. so then sometimes... Um, or maybe they don't really like the the sound of the authentic accent and they just want to tone it down a bit, which I hear happens a lot. I've talked to other coaches and it's sort of like, you've done your homework and I know exactly what this dialect sounds like and I've gotten recordings and we've chosen the sound and you get there. No, can we, can we take it back a little? Take, you know, and yeah. so there's so many factors at stake to create an authentic sound and then to get that final production. Um, Hmm. You know, and I've seen one of my pet peeves, you know, just being from Boston and, um, and, and I think I could fairly easily coach three different Boston accents. One would be like my grandmother's Fadi Fowa and, and, and then my, my colleagues 44, you know, and the other would be like 44, which is like a, a Bostonian trying to cover up his or her yeah, accent. Right? Yeah, right. So being familiar with these, then you see a film and, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's got it. You know, and that guy's got it. And they're like, wait a minute, that sounded like New York. What, what's going on here? Is this taking place in New York? And, and so I just have to, anyone who's watching the movie with me is just like, okay, just focus on the movie now and just stop. Sure. Stop getting distracted. And, sure. But again, there's so many things at stake. Did that, maybe they hired the leads. Maybe they hired a coach for the leads, but they didn't hire a coach for people with a bit part. Yeah, true. Or maybe the person with the bit part was like, don't know the difference between New York and Boston. I mean, I get that constantly here in LA. Oh, they're like, oh, you're from Boston? And I'm like, no, it's Boston. Yeah, it's you Boston. Know, yeah. 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 So, which is, whenever you hear the Boston accent stuff, it, they always seem to have to go to 10 for it. Like well, that's the always, other thing, the they subtle, always right? Have to go yeah. to 10. It's like that new commercial that's out right, right now for the car thing. It's like, give me a fucking break. And I get that that's <laughs> what they're doing, but it's just like, okay, we're not all like But that. it's almost like, I mean, I also teach languages, right? So I teach Spanish, I teach Italian, I teach English as a second language. And it's almost like you have to know what it sounds like appropriately and then take it back a little. For sure. Because I can't teach my student, you know, do you see that? In English, did you see that? If they don't know that they're even how to say, did you see that? It's like right. you kind of have to crawl before you walk, right? right. Um, and, and But it's good for the, the actor or the listener to be able to go full bore or as in Tropic Thunder. Did you ever see Tropic yes. Thunder? <laughs> That movie's fantastic. Yeah, I love that movie. It's, it's it's people love it or they hate it. Yeah. Oh, never go full retard, right? <laughs> and so, of course, there's a huge backlash there, right? And so it's that whole thing of just taking it back a notch. And um, in my opinion, yeah, I mean, you're right. So it's a little over the top. Yeah, it feels a little over the top. But there are some people who kind of sound like that, you for, know. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Especially with Boston, because... You get Southie. You get Southie. Yeah. And, and then I always feel like my accent comes out stronger if I'm either agitated. Oh, yeah. Or if or I'm tired. Or tired or drunk. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like one of those three. Right. Uh, the rest of the time, it's, you know, it's kind of there. I'm sure you notice it. A little bit. I mean, and, and, and I probably slip up here and there, too. Yeah. Um, but... You got I mean, and then then our someone asked my agent like, "Oh, does so and so have to be able to speak that language or that dialect in order to coach it?" Yes and no. Just as you said, I mean, you used your ear to suss out the Russian film. I 
I understand Venezuelan Spanish and I can recognize it, but I can't necessarily just sit here and talk to you 10 minutes straight with a Venezuelan accent in Spanish. Sure. But I know what it sounds like. And so that I can guide you if you're not sounding that way. Right. So yeah. ideally, yeah, half of the coach, half of the, the languages are or accents I've coached, I could speak or deliver like that. And some of them I can't. It's a matter of just hearing it enough to gain familiarity. It makes, it makes sense. I mean, at yeah. that point, you're a musician. At that point, it's like playing a violin. You don't know all the songs by heart, but you know actually how to use the instrument. You know how to totally, play it yeah. out. It makes sense. Yeah. It totally does. Um, okay, so how uh, how does it work? Like if an actor was going to start working with you, like what is the process like generally? Well... Are they, are they the ones seeking me out? Have they been? Um, it depends. Like, cause yeah. sometimes it's the producers that are seeking you out to check on people, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it does depend. I mean, I do have a, have a website, and so people can find me through the website. Um, and then at that point, um, you know, there's some back and forth emailing to figure out if it's a good match. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that point, you know, how do I work within their budget? Because ultimately what a producer or, you know, if a TV show or a film is paying me is typically more than what an actor is going to be able to pay me. Um, So then you have to work all that out. And, and it's so tough for me because I I wouldn't say, yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't say I'm a bleeding heart, but ultimately I'm super passionate about it. And I know that um, I want to get that 10, right? So, and I know that that's going to take six hours, not four and or two. And so it's ho- this whole thing of doing this dance of, okay, you know, what's realistic? Sure. And, and that's always a challenge because people, it's fascinating to me. They have no idea wh- how long things take. Yeah, especially you know, this. I have, I have no idea. That's why I'm asking. I've yeah, gone, I, I did a lot of work on a TV show um, last summer into the fall. Um. And because of the experience, I'm not going to say what TV show it was. Sure. I, it was actually very cool production. Um, and I was pleased with the end result of the work I did. But how they found me and sort of what happened about it was just a, a classic example of why I think there should be a language consultant with, with, um, with casting directors also. So, for example, I'm on this TV show and they had cast a boy for two episodes um, to be a recent detained uh, immigrant from Central America. Okay. Whose first language was Spanish. And so I met him in the studio. I'm supposed to coach him for an hour or two. And then he's going to be, he, he had been flown. He had been flown down from Northern California to LA to be here for nine days to work on two episodes. And I just turned to him and I said, hola, que tal, como estas? And he looked at his mother because he didn't know what I was talking about. What, so he didn't, know the, he didn't know the language? He did not know Spanish, flo- not fluently at all. So he, he had busted his butt to learn four or five lines that he could send in, <laughs> on an, send in an audition tape. Yeah. And if you listen carefully to the tape, there are a couple of things where I thought, oh, okay, either he's first generation kind of learning this or just not even a native Spanish speaker. So ultimately, we did a little session. We worked together, and I, I kind of gave my assessment to the producers, and they they had to hire another actor. I felt bad for the boy, but I was pleased that my skill set was able to, you know, be a, an asset to the project. But 
that's the first thing is that there aren't enough bilingual casting directors and I, and I would love to do more language consulting. And I ended up language consulting through the casting with, for that project. Mm -hmm. They kept sending me audition reels and okay, does she sound the part? Who sounds the part? Does he say, so it was like for three or four other actors that they were casting. Mm. And, you know, and, and being in LA, there, there are Latinas from all around the world. They're first generation Latinos there are a lot of New Yorkers that are here that maybe come from oftentimes Caribbean descent, you know, so Puerto Rican, Dominican, trying out for Mexican roles. And so that creates work for me because then I'm, I get to coach them on Mexican Spanish. But if they haven't done that or if they haven't really practiced, then to me as a viewer and a listener, I wouldn't cast them, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so that's the first challenge is that there's just really no awareness. And, and to me... Sometimes I'm surprised, especially with the amount of Spanish speakers in LA, but it's also, it's a reminder of my skill set, that being an asset, right? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it's, and then I recently worked on this, on this video game, which is um, a Puerto Rican accent in, in Spanish. Um, and I can't really disclose much about it. Sure. Other than, um, that basically only 10 or 20% of the people in the room kind of understood the text. And so, so, so then the, the, lang- the, com- the component of language consulting is really important because, you know, what do they say in Mexico? How does a mother address her son in Puerto Rico versus how a mother addresses her son in Mexico? What is the word for, um, you know, I think it was embustero and mentiroso. It was like, embustero wasn't a word I had used much. much. Mentiroso was, but let me do the research and find out if that's authentic to that uh, target audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's also localization involved, right? You have to localize the language to a specific audi- um, audience group. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. And so there's so much to it. Um, Fascinating, dude. And it, I mean, especially these days with Netflix being such a worldwide outlet, where they're actually doing, I mean, look at the success of Narcos and stuff, where it's a whole series in another language that's right. subtitled. And an, the audience now has the attention span for it, apparently, So, which is a fascinating thing. So it must be huge. But point. everyone who meets me when they find out, oh, you're, you know, oh, you're a dialogue coach. Oh, dude, have you seen Narcos? That's the first one that comes to <laughs> mind because they cast a Brazilian. Uh-huh. I think it's Wagner Moira. I don't know how you pronounce his last name because I'd have to see it in writing. But he's a pretty prominent Brazilian actor. And clearly Portuguese is different than Spanish, you know. Um, and some people Just don't some know. people don't know that, you know. And, and so it's such a fascinating conundrum in a sense because with the internet, with Netflix, with streaming – there is maybe more awareness across the board of geography and language and sound. But then you delve deeper and it's sort of like, yeah, people, some people think that Brazilians speak Spanish. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. And at that point, you're, it's like you were saying before, it's, it's understanding how to say the language before you try to paraphrase the language before you try to add an accent to it and it's the same kind of thing where it's like exactly so so for i worked on zoolander 2 back in the day right yeah and um 
And this is this was another yeah. I don't, don't want to. You guys can cut out my little. My, I don't want to toot my own horn, but it was it was. Uh, I was the third coach called on this project, and when I there, I was hired to, to work with the boy who plays Derek Zoolander's son, and he's supposed to be an orphan or you know orphaned by his father and left in Italy and he's in this orphanage and he's supposed to speak fluent Italian <laughs> and when he came to me it just sounded like he was making sounds <laughs> and so if other coaches so, so again it's tricky because ultimately yes you're listening for the sound but if you don't know what it means right then it's I find it's hard to coach right it's hard to coach th- that actor because they're not connecting with what they're saying because exactly. they, they don't, don't know understand. what it means. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. And, like, and so anyway, I coached him and then they liked the work and they said, oh, can you do an accent, an Italian accent in English? I said, sure. Because I'd lived in Italy for three years. And, and of course, my Italian student, um, but um, I would like to go there, but uh, I don't have time. You know, so I had heard this for three years. So sure, I can coach. So I got to coach another actor who spoke in English, but with an Italian accent. And that was the first gig. That was around the time. Actually, that was my first gig from my agent. I had worked with uh, Valentina Cervi. She was on True Blood in one of the last seasons. She played Salome. And I met her through friends. Again, lived in Italy. I knew all these people. In Rome, I knew a bunch of actors in Rome. One of them I stayed friends with. So when she came to LA, she looked me up. She's like, oh, I got this friend, Valentina. Um, you know, she's doing, she'd like some accent reduction for a couple episodes, you know, under off the book, so to speak. So I just worked with her directly. The production company didn't hire me. And, and that's when I thought, oh, okay, so maybe there's a market for this. And, sure. and I, I looked up the agent and, and she didn't send me much for a while until Zoolander and then after that it was the commercial and then after the commercial it was like I get referrals a lot from other coaches who can't do language-based stuff right so it's like one fun gig was um Seth MacFarlane did a Christmas special at the Grove it was called (laughs) I think it was called I don't know the Grove, Christmas at the Grove or something. This would have been about three years ago. Okay. And they had this song, and this blew me away, and it made me realize how unreliable, you know, uh, web-based info is, even lyrics and things. But there was this song, Christmas Time All Over the World, and I believe it was Bing Crosby and someone else. And, And so he's singing this song, and then there's the chorus of children who are who are um, basically saying Merry Christmas and they're saying it in like eight different languages and they had hired a coach who didn't know these languages and I think I only knew six of them so with a colleague of mine again being a detective it's like hey man what language is that server Croatian or is that Romanian you know if you have less of a familiarity it's harder to pinpoint but not only that the kids in the initial in the original recording had mispronounced the whole thing and so here I was I had to Fascinating. Undo these mispronounced um, or, or or mistranslated expressions. Uh, figure out what they were trying to say, learn them, and then coach the singers. So I got to coach the singers um, before they performed in the chorus. And, and and I remember one that stood out. It was Merry Christmas. So so in Japanese, it was, they were saying like Yoi Christmas, and I speak some Japanese. 
and, and I taught Jap- hundreds of Japanese students English as a second language, and none of them ever said, Yoi kurismasu, which means Merry Christmas. They said, Merry kurismasu. Merry kurismasu, right? So there's so many English words that are used in Japanese. Sure, sure. Foku, naifu, spoon, haba, the university, right? So all of, the, all of these English um, words that are used in Japanese. And so I, I was like, wait a minute, we got to change that. So it's so cool because you get to use your knowledge to actually, it's about getting it authentic, getting it right. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. And so anyway, I had looked up those lyrics and I looked up six or eight different websites and they all had butchered the lyrics. <laughs> and I'm hoping you know, that's not my mistake that they got it right and I wasn't hearing, but I'm pretty sure they had, you know, the one that was just far off was, um, I think it was Norwegian and they thought it was Norwegian. They were pretty far off. Yeah. And so, but that was a really fun project. And so it was like one thing led to another. Um, so are you constantly just listening to how people talk? Are you just basically, always, yeah. basically, I mean, and are you often surprised? Like, do you have someone that comes in and you're just like, well, yeah. So then I was on, I was working on a TV show, um, how to get away with murder. And I was coaching, um, 20 something female who was, I believe Salvadoran Mexican to speak Spanish, um, Basically, they had hired me to speak to make sure her Spanish sounded Mexican, but she had some lines in English and she had no accent. And so we had to end up, I ended up working with her on, hey, wait a minute, you sound like a native English speaker and you're supposed to be a recent immigrant. So let's work on this. <clears throat> um, what's your question? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating where you're going with this. So let's work with this. What was the, what are the steps? Let's continue down that hole. What are the steps to <laughs> teach somebody? To have an accent, is it, is it teaching them how to use their tongue differently? Is it teaching them like what, what yeah? So it's like, what are the vowels doing? What are the consonants doing? I mean, so when you're doing a Mexican accent in English, it's just simple. It's a e i o u. There are five sounds, and and so theoretically, that speaker should say like instead of this, they would say this because the i in Spanish is e, e right. Yeah. So you. Teach, and it's fascinating, most actors I've worked with, they don't want all the science and all the, the international phonetic alphabet, and they don't want to look at what the phonemes look like. They just want to know, like, either can you write it out and tell me how to say it, or can you teach me how to say it? You know, some of them are fascinating. Well, what's my tongue doing, and where am I, you know? But essentially, what are the vowels doing, the consonants? Um, what part of the mouth is that sound being delivered from? Mm-hmm. Um, is it more nasal sounding than than not? Um, and so, for example, you know, with this with this audiobook in Spanish, it's like um, we have to do this, and of course, you know, it's all in the front of the mouth. It's all of the sound is up there, you know. So even the s, it's like sound. So it's sort of all closer up, you know. So, but for something like that, okay, I lived in Spain here and there. I've been there back and forth. That sound I know. I probably know it better than, uh, you know, a South Carolina accent. So, so, um, so it's about familiarity uh, to get prepared. Um, but, it, you know, simplicity when you're prepping the actor. Um, a few little keys. What are the vowels doing? The consonants. Where the, where's the tongue? The mm-hmm. lips. Mm-hmm. I teach English to, uh, this is non-acting related, but it's, it's all overlap. So sure. I, I have this client who's an electrical engineer and he's out of state and we do Skype sessions. And, 
you know, he says, um, what, do you want to do one like that? So he doesn't say like, right? So then if I'm then teaching an English-speaking person who can pronounce like, how to speak with that Spanish accent. It's like, oh, okay, we've got to cut off those final consonants, right? Right. right. So it's, it, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's actually fun getting to work in both directions, like I've been doing lately, accent reduction or, or working with a bilingual person who needs to then sound like they don't speak English natively. And is it all kind of the same, like whether you're doing an accent reduction or you're teaching someone to do an accent, it's all kind of the same thing. It's just back to those vowel sounds and like when you're cutting it, when you're cutting it off. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, so, so then, but then there are certain sounds that exist in Spanish that don't in English. So then it's sort of like, okay, we've got to teach them to make, you know, um, they, they say in Spanish, be grande o be chica. So the V and the B in Spanish are, essentially sound the same. Hmm. Right. So I would I say I'm if I said I'm living, they might say I'm I'm leaving. And, and are you leaving? You know, so, right. so but but what does that V sound like? What does that B sound like? And then if so, then it's teaching them where to put the, the, the lips yeah. or if I'm doing the opposite, it's called in linguistics, it's called uh, a fricative. So the V, right? Mm -hmm. They don't really have that vibrational sound in Spanish. So then you're teaching that student, okay, put your top teeth on your bottom lip. Let me see your teeth. Make that vibration. If you don't feel a vibration, you're not pronouncing it right. Wild. Right. And this is all stuff that we take for granted when we're born in a specific area and we start to hear it, that we're taught it, and it just happens right. automatically. That's fascinating because that's that's essentially your job is that you're looking at these incredibly like microscopic details. Right. So I was working. To, <laughs> I'm all over the place, but hopefully we come back. It's all and great. I appreciate. Yeah. 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 So on on that show, how to get it with murder, I was talking to the writer, and I was like, "Oh, so what part of New York are you from?" And she's like, she looked at me like, "Did you steal my wallet? You know, did you?" <laughs> How do you know that I'm from New York? <clears throat> I was like, well, it's obvious you're from New York, you know. And, and, and she's like, well, I've been out here for six years, you know. And I was just like, yeah, you sound like you're from New York. And, and so then apparently, you know, the, the, the sort of team of writers and producers like, wow, yeah, Aaron's got a good ear. And then this guy shows up to me. He's like, so where am I from? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm hearing some Midwest there. And, he's, uh, and I was really struggling. He's like, well, yeah. I mean, I lived in eight different states for two years and my dad's in the military and I've been out in LA for 12. And it's like, yeah, well, come on now. So, but my, my most, pr I think my proudest moment was the moment where I thought, okay, I've got to give this a, a shot. Was I was, um, before I lived in LA, I was um, about to drive out here and I got burnt out in New York. I, I did my master's at Teachers College at Columbia and I focused on second language acquisition. I did a lot of workplace language classes, um, Whole Foods Market, hmm. other companies. And I was, it was all about bridging the gap of communication, right? right. So um, teaching English as a second language to their non-native English speakers and doing Spanish courses for, for their native English speakers to bridge the gap and encourage sort of collaboration. And, you know, I, 
Um, spent six years in New York and I'm still getting over it. And, and I've been here for eight. So oh, that place gets under your skin. I'll New tell. York? I mean, oh, yeah. it's so amazing and so tough. But I'm, yeah, I'm glad I to always, be out here. I always say the same thing. If you're working and you're busy, New York is fucking fantastic. But as soon as you're not, yes, yes, it's like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm living in a fucking shoebox, yeah, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's when you step off the bus in New York, there's like this electricity that's sort of running underneath the, like through the ground. Oh yeah. It's, it's an amazing sure. spot yeah. for that. But, well, and yeah. then it's fascinating how everything leads you to the next gig. So, so if I hadn't lived in Washington Heights Inwood and, you know, been surrounded by um, lots of Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, I wouldn't have been familiar with those dialects enough to be able to coach them out here. Right. So it's yeah, like, yeah. and if I didn't live in, I lived in Italy and my friends were like, why do you, what are you doing in Italy? And I lived in the small town at first and, they couldn't get while I was there. And I just loved the sound of Italian, you know. But everything leads to another. And um, <laughs> what was the, getting back to your question, uh, the last question. I don't even remember because I love where we're going. <laughs> the, the fascinating thing about our conversations is that we start to spiral and we start to find really Yeah, but you stuff. had said. Um, uh, initially. So oh, I was dro- oh, yeah, so I was going to drop. So basically yeah. I had decided to leave New York and um, it was the fall of 2011 and I had this uh, great family dinner at top of the hub in Boston, the Hancock. Yep. And sadly, I guess they're closing, which is a bummer. Um, And I was there with most of my immediate family and about 10 minutes into the meal, I couldn't focus on the meal anymore because this, our server had this accent that was driving me nuts. And I was like, God, well, I've never been to Minnesota, but I did have a colleague from Minnesota <laughs> when I worked in a restaurant once, and she sounds a lot like her. But I'm not 100% convinced she's from Minnesota because she sounds a little Canadian, too. And I know that some of that overlaps. And and so so for the next hour, I just kept saying to myself, I've got to figure out where this, where this woman's from. And basically, I narrowed it down to Minnesota or or Canada. And finally I said, you know, I'm sorry, I just have to ask you, so where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from Northern Minnesota on the Canadian border. And I thought, okay, so I got to do something with this because how could I figure that out if I've never really been to Minnesota? And, but the, the problem with it, it's you're constantly humbled with this work too, because sometimes something like that happens and then you you're, can play tricks on you, or you've got somebody who's you know, maybe um, from Panama, but they've been in LA for 20 years. So you think they sound Mexican, but they're really Panamanian, right? Yeah. So, so that's the hard part of it. It's very humbling. Well, at this point too, it must be strange because we've talked a little bit about it, but we're in the ultimate melting pot oh, yeah. with everything, whether you're talking entertainment or uh, the internet or, or whatever it is. And it's fascinating when you're talking about uh, how Japanese u- will use English because that's essentially how they've been introduced to those words anyway. Yeah. So I mean, why would they translate? But them they in? have a word yaku for baseball, but besuboru is, you know, I, I don't know about the characters because my writing in Japanese is pretty weak, but there are a lot of, a lot of um, foreign words. In fact, in Japanese, again, I've limited understanding. There are three alphabets. There's, uh, hiragana for Japanese sounds, katakana for foreign words and sounds, and and kanji, which are Chinese characters. But they they pick up words from all over. So here I was in Tokyo asking for a soy latte, and it was a soy chai latte. 
And it was soy no chai no rate hitotsu kudasai. Right. So so it's soy was was there, yeah. chai was there, latte was there, and hitotsu was one. And of course the word order of Japanese is like hundred percent hundred and eighty degrees off from English. Oh, yeah, so that was yeah. a trip. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah dude, But yeah, so especially. so you've got soy, you've got chai, you've got latte. Of course chai comes from India, right? Latte is it comes from Italy. Um but knife, fork, spoon. So, so why is it? Well, because they use chopsticks, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's part of the reason why maybe there isn't a Japanese word. Because they <laughs> wouldn't necessarily need it. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then there are words that are, you'd think there would be a Japanese word for it and they use an English word. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. But I mean, think, I mean, we have, we, we grow up speaking, we grow up knowing words from other languages, even if we don't speak the, that language, you know, Pizza, pepperoni. The, the silly thing is pepperoni are actually, um, they're green peppers. Yeah, the little peppers. It's like, but people here, pepper, you know, in the United States, pepperoni is, is you know, sal, salsicha picante. Eh? So it's sauce, spicy sausage, right? But so, so there's, so there are all these butchered things, yeah. you know, or, or like linguine. It's not linguine, it's linguine, you know. Um, but then but, it comes down to how they heard it, where they, where they heard it from. Well, then there's Neapolitan. So, so again, yeah. So the the Italian that the average East Coast American has been exposed to is more often than not Southern Italian. Yeah. It's Neapolitan or Sicilian. And so then that Neapolitan influence on Italian is what people pick up here, like prosciutto, right? People hear prosciutto <laughs> or marinara. You know, and that's totally Southern Italian. So. And then it gets mixed into Jersey and then it Oh, yeah. Forget surprise. it. Have you seen that spelling bee? You've got to check it out. No. Uh, just Google uh, spelling bee. Um, I think it's Bensonhurst or something like that. And there are all these characters from Sopranos and they're kind of coaching their kids into spelling these things. And so Marinad, so Marinad is M-A-D-I-N-A-D, right? Madinad, you know, so yeah. they're just butchering all these spellings <laughs> because that's how they grow up hearing it. Uh, it's a f- really funny skit. Yeah, Super cool, man. I, I, I'm completely fascinated because it's obvious that you are I mean, there isn't a general way of saying it. You're a total nerd when it comes to language. <laughs> so it's completely obvious. Yeah. And I think that's really cool, especially when you're when you're developing character. And a lot of the listeners of the show are all filmmakers and uh-huh. a lot of actors are listening to the show. So mm-hmm. when you're developing a character, it's it's always fun to find a new set of brushes, like a new set of tools, and then play and then Absolutely. and then sort of convey emotion with those tools. And language, I think when I did my movie in Russian, I was less concerned about the script and more concerned about the sounds. Because hmm. I thought that when I made this film for an American, because it was for an American audience, it wasn't for a Russian audience. So, um, so why did you choose? Uh, so I did Russian. this. I did this movie that was based upon an actual story that happened in Russia. So okay. it was like uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, there was a team of scientists that drilled the deepest hole known to man. They drilled twelve kilometers down into the planet. And there was this uh, myth circulating on the internet that I think was made by the Christians or the Catholics that they had lowered microphones down into this hole and they recorded the sounds of hell. So they heard screams and all this other stuff was coming out of this hole. Oh, Jesus. I thought it was a cool idea. I thought it was really great. And I was going to basically do it as a cold open for a larger picture for where this creature comes from, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I've always laughed at movies as a kid where... I, I think the purest example of it was the 13th Warrior. Do you remember the 13th Warrior? It's vaguely familiar. It was <laughs> Vikings and then 
uh, what's his name? Uh, Antonio Banderas was supposed to be, I think he was supposed to be Arab. Mm-hmm. And then he hangs out with these Vikings and the Vikings are all speaking a different language. And through the title sequence, they just show him hanging out and eventually their language becomes English so that we understand it as if he's suddenly learning this language. You should watch you'll probably, The 13th Warrior. You'll probably throw something through the TV <laughs> <laughs> watching that one. But I remember that movie specifically and I'm, I, I've always been... Even watching, uh, did you watch uh, Chernobyl? On, uh, you know, I've been wanting to. I haven't seen it. It's fucking fantastic. But somebody did mention the accents being kind of all over on that. Yeah, because it was all British speaking actors with like Russian accents, yeah. and they were doing this, and that's always kind of pissed me off. And I thought that I'm doing a horror movie. I'm doing something that's scary, anyways. The Russian language is very brutal, very sort of scary to listen to if you're. A dude from Boston that really doesn't yeah. have his research. He's, he's, he's shaking his head like, let's fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I went down that path and I, I wanted it sonically to right. be interesting. And that's why we ended up choosing it. Huh. choosing it. Cool. So it's funny, getting back to your other question of, is it just the vowels, the consonants? You said, I thought it was a great idea and I like... So this is a Boston thing, right? Yeah. Because if you just end the sentence with idea... You're not going to put an R there. Most people won't. Um, you know, that's that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Right. right. But you were like, oh, I thought it was a great idea and I'd like to do. And I, I it was a great idea and I really wanted to look into it. So you put an R at the right. end of idea that because that R joins the next word, which is a has to start with a vowel. So that's what loosely is called an alliteration in phonetics or or and. And so I teach my students that too. So how do you, how do you use the, the joining words to, to make them your, your friend, mm-hmm. you know, and where do you chop it off and where do you not? And, mm-hmm. and the cool thing I'm learning because I'm doing all this multilingual stuff, you know, lots of Spanish, but English and then, um, you know, different regional accents and different Spanish accents. And, you know, I've done several other languages by now is that it all sort of translates into the same thing is you're using that liaison. It's a liaison. It's, it's what's touching what. So, so, so I got a call from this, the director of this video game I was working on, who we were doing New York, Puerto Rican. And he says, Aaron, you know, um, so we've got this actor in here and, and so could you just tell me, does she just cut off all the S's? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, it's really not that simple because yes, they do cut off maybe 60 or 70%, but there's some that they're going to keep on there. And so fortunately I was down the street from the recording studio. He called me in, I came in and I helped the actor. She wasn't a native speaker, which is getting back to another one of your other questions is, so I worked on, um, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and on that particular project, the lead Miles Morales was a Jamaican American, he's a non-Spanish speaker, right? So he did a great job in a short amount of time to to make it, you know, decipherable New Yorican, so to speak. But it's much tougher to to teach somebody, you know, adios when they don't know adios, right? I mean, he knew adios, he knew some words of Spanish, but essentially, it's a lot easier to teach a native speaker um, a dialect of, you know. So, for example, on another Spider-Man project. Um, coaching um, a, bit, uh, a Colombian actor to speak Spanish with a Puerto Rican accent is easier than coaching a Jamaican American to speak with a Puerto Rican accent. And that's where you're, what you're shooting for changes, right? Yeah. But anyway, so this whole thing of these liaisons and these, these alliterations is that 
it works for everything. It works for idea and it works for los amigos. You might use that S because there's an A after it. And even though it's another language, there are these things that are overlap that I'm discovering as I coach. Sure. And so it's super fun to get to do you know a lot of diverse projects. Yeah, and it's fascinating too. Like I, because I do a podcast and you listen to your voice and you're you're trying to think about. Uh, oftentimes, it's it's not necessarily about pronouncing things correctly, but it's more about making sure them getting the emotion out. Sure. And then I think one of the things that I picked up from Boston is uh, I feel like most of the time my brain is faster than my mouth is. And right. I feel like my my the muscles in my mouth can't keep up with my brain, and so I end up doing a lot of those connecting things. Like I'll like fucking like it's just like yeah, and then the fucking uh, you know, and you're just trying to continue that statement. And then sure. when you're in a conversation, oh yeah, it's like you're almost tr- trying to keep the spotlight on you. You're trying to keep the focus of that conversation while your brain is catching up with your mouth. Yeah, and most of the time, I mean, I, I watch everything. I watch. I watch with a keen ear. Because I'm just fascinated. Most of the time, I'm blown away by the Brits who get all these roles on, you know, a lot of HBO Showtime shows. And some people have no idea they're British. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, they're and, like chameleons, those right? Guys. And but once in a while, and I'm watching this other show where there's a Canadian lead, and I was like, well, I don't know, she's Canadian. But once in a while, when she gets emotional, oh, that sounded totally Canadian. Or on another show, I'm watching an HBO where this guy's British and. Again, it's typically the emotion you get, right. and they forget. They're, so that's that's a tough call. That's always the dance you're doing, right? Is that obviously the, the director wants the top um, emotion performance, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> when I was on this, I did this feature film, The Purge. It was uh, I, I've seen it. Yeah. It's actually it, it's a new one. It's coming out. I don't know, this summer. Oh, they did a new and. One. I was very, I was pleasantly surprised by the script, not knowing a lot about the series, but I mean, there were a lot of nice twists and turns there. And, you know, there were a couple scenes where, because I was working with the lead on that, and there's some really poignant scenes that were sort of making social commentary about how xenophobic and anti immigrant sentiment is really affecting every sector of our country right now. And I think there were some subtle and less than subtle messages through through the storyline, which I really liked. Um, and of course, for my job, my job, I'm sitting there listening. What does it sound like? What does it sound like? What does it sound like? But then sometimes you're captivated by the, the great chemistry between these two actors. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, God, I know I'm just the dialect coach, and I'm I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> but can you please have them keep that take? Because not only did he get the sound right? Not only, obviously, we all saw that they were there was great chemistry there, but that sound was on too. Yeah, because a lot of the times the sound will be on, and you're like, eh, or vice versa. Right, they um, lose themselves in the emotion, and then they just sure. Right and on. so, of course, I have to correct him, and I'm just like, and that's where there's the dance of, okay, you <laughs> you're know. that you're you're the guy that comes over, and they're like, oh god, right? <laughs> like he said this. And wrong. every director is different. I mean, you know, probably as a director, it's yeah. just. I've been involved. I worked on Snowfall, um, this FX show a couple of years back. And I forget the last name. It was Hiro. He was a Japanese director. He was so cool. He was just like, yeah, you know, anytime you want to come tell me something, 
So I was just right nearby. And so logistically, it made it a lot easier for me to, to, to interrupt. I think I said easier. I think I just lost my, you see, get emotional about this. Oh, God. It's because you're on the show. Yeah, I swear to God, I got to go back to Boston and remember my roots. All right? see, it's contagious. Like, it's like yeah, catching, it's yeah, like it catching is. a cold. Yeah, I swear to God. Can't believe it. So um, anyway, I got to be right next to him and, and interject. And, you know, and then I've been... And then you're on some projects where you just need to be sort of invisible. Yep. Um, almost sometimes you're wondering like, well, why am I here? And then there are other projects where you just kind of have to blend in with the woodwork, but be ready at a moment's notice to say something if they want. So that's the whole thing about reading the room. Uh, and I think at that point, your ego gets just pushed aside because you just have to. But there was that one scene. I was just like. Uh, you know, I had to inter- interject something because actually they, they, the actor wasn't connecting with the line. And it was it was basically speaking to why I love learning languages, living in different places, uh. and how it makes you more tolerant, um, how it, it fosters harmony, acceptance, you know, of multiculturalism, multilingualism. And it was all about sort of who I was as a person. In this one scene, she's describing, you know, being an immigrant and what you have to do to assimilate, but at the same time main, maintain a semblance of yourself. And, and she just wasn't connecting with it because she, she didn't grasp the text. But I knew exactly what they were trying to say, which is actually this really cool message. And so then I was just like, I know you, you don't want to see me, director, but can I just say something, you know? So that's the tough part, you yeah. know, it's, it's just knowing your place. And, and it, like and, you said, it all depends on who you're working with as a director. Yeah. And then you start getting into an ego game. You start getting into all that kind of that kind And of every, everyone's different. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But overall, I, I mean, I love it. It's, I'm so glad I took the leap. You know? Dude, it's cool. It's, it's, such a, it's such an interesting position. And then if you were to look at it from a bird's eye view of someone that shows up to set, and you just have no idea. And there's this group of people standing around with fucking headphones on. And they have absolutely no idea what it is that you do. Oh, yeah. And then knowing that it is, you made a really interesting statement where you're saying learning different languages brings us closer, brings an understanding because you're microscopically examining their history through the noises that they make, which is interesting. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm stretching that, but I think that there's something really interesting. I also feel the same way with cooking and food. I think it's the same thing. Oh, yeah. And I think that when you're examining how to cook a steak or if you're examining how to slow cook a piece of pork, you have to go back and go, okay, well, there's a reason why they wrapped this in banana leaves and then they steamed it and they buried it in the ground because of their history. Or there's a reason why barbecue is this way because uh, the slaves would get really shitty meat all the time and and, uh, they figured out how to make this through the slow cooking process into the most succulent piece of meat that we now have today. And so I think that when you, as a storyteller, I like to examine those specific details whether it's like body posturing and movement or whether it's language and sound, uh, because that informs the reactions that characters have, that informs the way people act and interact. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I'm starting to think back of my old ESL teaching days and, you know, they used to describe, you know, what sport would you use to describe 
conversations in this language. And in English, it's like ping pong. You know, we go back and forth. And, and, and sometimes in, in Italian, it's, you know, it's like ping pong with another paddle getting thrown in because people are just talking over each other. Yeah. And in Japanese, it's just very, I don't remember the analogy of the sport, but, but it's sort of, I'm waiting till you're done speaking now. You yeah. Know? And so, but also the, 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 this expression in Japanese comes to mind, so this ne. So, so, so this means yes, but so this ne means yes, but it really means no. Hmm. And it means, you know. Is it, it like a sarcastic? No, it means I really think it's no, but I'm being polite. Fascinating. Yeah. And so it's sort of like even, you know, body language, expressions, knowing, and it tells you a lot about a culture. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, it's funny, my mother-in-law is Central American and ugh, I've known her for what, eight, I don't know, seven or eight years now. And she's always like, oh, you know, would it be okay if I have one of your guavas or one? And I'm just like, <laughs> 50 bucks, woman, you know, because it's just, she's super polite. And sometimes yeah. I'm like, you know, she reminds me of some of my Japanese students of back in the day. Because if you offer something to somebody who's Japanese and they accept it at the first offering, that's very rude. So you have to say, no, 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 thank you. Even though you're like, oh my God, that looks like the best cupcake I've ever seen. Oh, no, thank you. And it's usually two, one or two no thank yous before you accept it. Yeah. So it's this whole dance. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to yeah. do this, you're going to do that, you know. And because, yeah, of, the, because of how they want to be understood or how they want to be respected. Or yeah, it's just, it's just communication styles. And, and getting back to that Puerto Rican, ella tenía una bolsa, right? It's like, why is she putting the inflection up there? I don't know that. I don't know nothing about the history, but those are the subtleties you're searching for mm -hmm. to get it right. Yeah, exactly. And when you're doing a scene, like if I'm if I'm editing a scene, right, and there's a dialogue sequence that's happening, I find that it's almost more interesting to cut to the person that's listening because of that pacing, because of that understanding. Sorry about that. Absolutely rude that my phone was ringing. It's my fault this time. <laughs> Don't give me that look, Liam. <laughs> I gave him shit on the last episode because of that. Um, but I find it fascinating uh, to see how someone listens to somebody else. And I find that like, when someone decides that they need to interject and when like there's a power play there that's really interesting, you know? Yeah, I yeah. Like it, and so it's like the sound of language. It's, it's where it comes from. It's how it's delivered. It's the response to that language. It's so wonderfully complex. But see, you see, you, you directors are our arch enemy in those moments because we've done a scene. <laughs> I remember in this feature film, we did um, eight to 10 takes from three different angles. And so after the 24th take, the producer's like, well, Aaron, he's kind of losing that, you know, he's kind of losing his intonation. I'm like, yeah, he's done this 28 four times. <laughs> and because you have to do the same scene from these different angles to see his, you know, to see his, his um, co-actor, you know, the, the guy in the scene with him, to see his response to what he's saying sure. or vice versa. And sure. I get the, you know, the need for it, but sometimes it's tough to maintain that freshness. It's like, totally, you know, totally. And then you're just trying to choose because... With the edit, have you ever, have you, because you, you've done ADR, have you spent time in the, in, in the edit room? Have you actually seen a scenes be cut together? Um, less, less editing, more just sort of that yellow lines hitting when they're saying their line. Sure. Most stuff's already been done. I mean, audio, yeah. I mean, definitely, because it's, especially. It's fucking fascinating. 
Like yeah. if you, like if you're taking, let's say we do cover three camera coverage, right? So we have you, me, wide shot, right, right. And so you're trying to decide based upon the emotion in that scene, how you're going to come into that sequence. Am I coming in because you have command, you have control, you're the one leading this thing? Is it a tight on you? And it, and then when do I cut to you? Right. You're shaking your head right now. So when am I cutting to you shaking your head right now? <laughs> and am I doing that in a close-up or am I doing this? And then it comes down so specifically to how many times you're nodding your head. And when I cut away from that nod, do I cut away from that nod when the mm. chin's down? Or do I cut away from that nod halfway through? Right. And what does that mean? It's fascinating. Mm. Like, so when you're... I. I think a lot of directors who don't know what they're trying to get overshoot. And I think that there is also the danger in not shooting enough because you absolutely never know what, how I cut your nod says three scenes from now, because that starts to add, plant the seed in the audience based upon the emotion they feel there at how you play out here. It's fucking crazy. Well, and it was this, that particular scene was this pretty poignant scene with Will Patton. Do you know Will Patton? He's really talented actor. How do I know he was, that name? He was in uh, Remember the Titans. Uh, he was the blondish coach. Yeah, 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 he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah. he was the lead in that scene and it was a pretty poignant scene. And, you know, so, so I think, I, I don't know that they were overshooting other than it was just a really long scene that needed to be done by several sure. angles. But it was also like, you know, 48 and raining and we were outside for LA that's freezing. Right. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was towards the end of the day and, and, and everybody's and, exhausted. And yeah. you know, how um, many times? And then when you're at that, when you're beyond that point and you're just looking at it, you're just like, how many fucking times? Well, yeah. And so, but I mean, yeah. I think if you were to take, a Bostonian and I don't know. I mean, if you were to take someone from any city and they say something that many times, it's going to, there's going to be a different delivery. Totally. And plus it's just the freshness of it. So, I, I mean, obviously um, they're trying to put so much together. The reaction is at the right angle is the sound right. And so I get it. I get it. Um, it's, it's a weird thing because you, at the end of the day, you watch the scene and it's all subliminal. It's all subconscious. Everything's subconscious. And if it's not subconscious, then we're like, this is a piece of shit. You're looking at it for being a piece of shit. But you look at something that seems so absolutely natural. And we've had multiple guests on the show. We recently actually had um, a porn star on the show who was talking about his industry and and how it works and how that industry has become so real. So when you're watching that stuff now, it feels like it's real. feels like it's not produced. But it is still very much produced. And the amount of skill that goes into that for you to feel like, no one's doing anything. Like, right. what's he doing? Why is he getting paid for that? So that, uh-huh. that amount of skill is fascinating. And I think that comes with our business because it's it's magic show time, right? You know, smoke and mirrors. And oh, yeah. Where did the rabbit go? It's all that kind of shit. Right. Um, and what you do is such an, an interesting ingredient into that because, like I said, it's that minutia. It's that specific oh, yeah. little detail that you hear someone use that accent. You go, I'm there. That is what brings me to that place. But also, it's just you know, and then and then it's again maintain. I think that another big challenge. You so you're you're hired. You you bring authenticity, uh, the right sound. But it's again localization. Are you getting the right word? So I was on Snowfall, hired to work with actually three actors um, on that show, and all is going well. And then they on set, a couple things came out because of casting. And then one thing came out where it was supposed to be the the 
Central American jungle on the Honduran Nicaraguan border, and this guy walks by and he's like, Vamos a comer ese chango mañana. And I was like, All right, that guy sounds like a cholo. He sounds like a, a you know, sort of LA, East LA or, or LA Mexican sort of gang member. And I was like, Wait a second, this is so off. First of all, chango is Mexican for monkey, but I, I hadn't used chango as mono, right? So, And then I look at the script supervisor and she, we were both like, oh, we got to do something here. <laughs> and, and so fortunately she had some clout where I got to pull the guy aside and you know, work with him a little on the sound and change the word from chango to mono. Mm -hmm. you know? um, I don't know how that was in response to what but, No, but it's, a, it's completely fascinating because I'm thinking about this as a director and I'm looking at that screen and looking at the performance. And if you guys are having that conversation back there, I, I would immediately be like, Okay, well, what happened? Because I would have absolutely no connection to it. It's fascinating. Yeah, and so that's the whole thing, the value of language, just straight up language. Obviously, dialect's one thing, but there's so many multilingual productions, right? Now, yeah. and, and, and with the, this huge boom of, of streaming and Netflix and Hulu and all of these things, and, and, and people get exposure to it, they have access to it, there are more astute ears than before. And, and so they're trying to bring authenticity, but it's always that whole, again, the whole dance, how much time do you have? Right. What's the budget? Right. Um, how late or early are you being called in? Right. Um, and, you know, it's a, I don't know how the industry is going to change um, the need for us, if it'll be greater or less, or I, you know, hopefully we won't be replaced by machines because there are subtleties that, Machines couldn't teach. You sure, know? like Google Translate still hasn't uh, figured it out. But that's, yeah, that's Look at the, yeah. yeah, yeah, Google Translate. When I right? taught Spanish locally, we were that was actually forbidden that the kids use that because not only because they're it's lack of a lack of academic integrity, you, they're just going to get a butchered sentence. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, it's all fun stuff, right? It's cool, man. <laughs> it's really cool. I've, I've, I mean, I've really enjoyed sort of digging down into this hole because it's. It's something that like, it's such an afterthought to a production where it's just like, oh, wait a minute. We have to make sure that they're saying the right thing. Let me make sure I call the guy to do that, to get that in there. And I want to learn this stuff ahead of time. Like, I think it's really interesting because then there's a value in it. And then understanding that you're not just doing a functional position. You're, you're adding something to it. You're bringing something yeah, to you're it. You're preaching to the choir. I mean, definitely we feel that our contribution is, is paramount and, 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 and at the end of the day could make or break something, you know, as far as authenticity. Hell I mean, yeah. If you think about uh, Tim Monick, who's sort of the guru in the industry, I'd love to meet him. He's, he's uh, Matt Damon's right-hand man. Um, I'm trying to think of what else he's done recently. Um, so Tim Monick, oh, so he worked with Bradley Cooper for six months before he did A Star is Born. No shit. So they worked, my understanding is like 20 to 30 hours a week on just him lowering his register to sing as Jackson Maine as the character. In, in Which was Star like loosely Born. based on what's his name who was in the movie? Uh Sam Elliott, maybe? Yeah, Is yeah, it? yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I mean, that's commitment, right? And, and he, he knocked that out of the park. Not only, not only did he lower that registry, so it sounded kick-ass too. But, you know, that's the ideal, right? I mean, someone like Tim Monick, okay, that, he's been doing this for 40, 50 years. They invest in, they, they realize that, you know, he's such an integral part of the final sound, right? 
But at the end of the day, I mean, we all are in some way, right? Sure. And that's why we're called in. And then it's sort of, um, you know, that dance of how much time and how much money and how can we make this as best as, you, as it can be in that amount of time. Sure. Um, but I also think it's about educating because we talk about this on the show all the time. Right now, filmmakers, young filmmakers are just obsessed with like gear and purchasing gear and what kind of camera to use. And it's like, it's really displaced. I feel like the, the interest, we were just talking about Instagram posts today and we were looking at an Instagram post that'll get like 230,000 likes, which is essentially a guy on uh, what was he? He was riding a Segway doing a steady cam move and it meant nothing. Like it absolutely meant nothing. I mean, sure he did a good shot and the lighting was good, but narratively it didn't really mean mm. anything. And I think that it's interesting to have this conversation because you're essentially a tool, you're a specialized tool in the kit that somebody can utilize if they understand the benefits of this tool to not only make it authentic, but also make a character fascinating. And and talking about Bradley Cooper in that in A Star Is Born, that was the special effect. His voice, his tonality, sure, that yeah. was the special effect. That was more important than any of the gear they shot with. That was more important than any of the locations they were at. The fact that you can just be tight on his face shooting in a car and i always bring this scene up that moment have you seen the movie have you seen it just once that moment when he's in the car with his brother and it was he has that line where it wasn't dad it was you and he closes the door Mm. and it's the most basic shot Mm. thing and it's the most powerful moment in that movie because of the voice because of the the volleying of power but that look at the training it took and that's where that's insane like what like 30 hours (laughs) a week sure i mean i i yeah I worked with this Chinese actor. They were going to cast for Marvel, this huge Marvel production in China. And, you know, he was he was fluent, but he had a strong Chinese accent. We worked like six hours together. I mean, that's going to take, it's going to take hundreds of hours, you know. And so that's the things that, again, there's the recognition of, of that we need to work on the sound and there's not that, that um, data at their fingertips to know how long it realistically takes. And so that's where it's sort of like, okay, I don't want to talk myself out of a job because really I'm not going to get you, your actor to where he or she needs to be in six hours and I can improve it. You know, so is that good enough for them? Right. Because they might think you could do it in six where it needs 200 or or 60. But I think this is smart that we're having this episode because I think what it is, is it's instilling it into the filmmakers at an early age. And I, I also make this reference, and I've, I've talked about it on the show before. So as I repeat myself, listeners, deal with it. Who gives a fuck? So um, when I was younger and I was learning how to be a shooter and a director, I shared a studio space with a sound team. And so I actually went on location with them, recorded stuff, learned how to do boom mic, learned how to mix, mm-hmm. learned how to do all this stuff, and fell in love mm-hmm. with all these different elements. And I know these tools now that a lot of other directors that don't have that experience now know. So when I write a script, I just wrote a script last week, there are sound cues integral to the story, to the vibe that are then in the script. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because this is fascinating to me. I feel like I will learn some stuff from you that I can then put into my scripts and put into my toolkit, which then makes it beneficial because then... You know, Bradley Cooper was like, yeah, I want to do this. This is really important. This is going to be 30 hours a week. And I know the value of this. I'm going to write a story 
around that value. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's one of those films. I mean, I ge- generally judge sort of uh, the quality of a film by how long it sits with me. You know, if you wake up the next day and you don't think about it, well, hell then, yeah. But that one sat with me for a few days, and he, he hell yeah. And and all that work he did to just you know leave you your jaw dropped. You know, it's just amazing. And it wasn't like he wasn't bragging about it. It was so subtle. It was so like very very specific, but by subtle it was like a huge change in his voice. Like you, it's Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper doesn't fucking sound like that. Right. So like initially when you first see him on screen, you go whoa, but then you're just in it. Oh yeah, because it's so beautiful. And subtle. because of his consistency, which once again, that's that's the challenge of time availability is 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 muscle memory. Everything we have to do, we have to commit to muscle memory. If you're playing a C major scale on the piano. Yeah. How many times do you have to play that b- before you can play it without looking? Right. You know, or if you're singing or if you're, you know, I, I tell my students too, you know, you're kicking the soccer ball in the, in the top right hand corner of the net. How many times do you have to kick it before you, you, you know that it's going to go there? Yeah, it's yeah. about m- muscle memory and repetition. And so for the actor to get to that, that's where they've got to put in the work too. Ultimately, my job is, can I make that actor make that sound when I'm with him or her? Mm-hmm. And if I can, then it's somewhat out of my hands. You know, then they have to make com- commit it to muscle memory. And then, of course, I'm there on set or, or in the recording session to make sure if they slip that I can guide them in that direction. Right. But, but I've got to be able to explain in simple enough terms, okay, this is what you've got to do to make that sound. Show them. If they can make it, hey, say that five or ten times, what does that feel like? And then it becomes muscle memory. And that feels yeah. like the speed process of, of, of your team. See, the one thing that I feel like I've taken from what we've talked about is that it's actually better, if I'm going to do something in a different language, if I'm going to work with actors that don't actually speak that language, it's actually better that they spend the time ahead of time to understand what it is they're saying and how it's said, oh, yeah. because then they can improv through it, then sure. they can make it their own. It's about connecting, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. As opposed to you walking over to them going, say it like this, right. say it like this again, say it like this again. And that because what that ends up potentially doing is bleaching out performance because they're essentially just replicating what it is that you're telling them yeah. to say at that point, Yeah, which is interesting. And I, I think that um, hopefully the people that are listening to the show just have a better appreciation. And if anything, because I know we've just glazed the surface of what it is that you do. <laughs> so I think that... Uh, understanding that there is there this is like a a tool that is ripe really ripe for the picking especially with like with what we said where we're dealing in a new medium right now where you're watching one episode of television and there are like six languages in that in that episode and that's mainstream that used to only be like a bbc sure Yeah. That's mainstream shit now. That's yeah. like Marvel. That's I think it like started with show. Lost or something. I don't know if you watched Lost. Yes. Yep. You know, they had Korean, they had um, Arabic, um, and then a couple other English dialects and a few other languages. Yeah. It's cool, man. It's cool. It's a really cool, really cool thing. How are we doing on time? We're at an uh, hour and 30, roughly. All right, cool. I think this is usually about the time of the show that I ask the guests to. Uh, give a little bit of um, insight or a little bit of advice to folks that are listening. Well, don't try to get into this industry. <laughs> I mean, that's the only advice you need. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. But let me ask you a, a specific question. Yeah. So, where's my, where's my water? Right. I'm thirsty here. <laughs> um, so specifically what, um, 
What would you say to it to an actor, right? So if an actor wants to uh, learn a different language, how soon should they get involved with you? And is <laughs> well, that- definitely not a day before the audition. You know, uh, um, yeah. I mean, if if it's a language, that's that's a, a long undertaking. But you know, if it's an accent or or um, a variation of an accent, it really depends also on their ear. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to learn a language, we need some couple months there. You know, anyway, depending on again, depends on your ear and your exposure to other languages. If you're trying to learn Italian and you know Spanish fluently, you're gonna you're gonna pick that up fairly quickly. Uh, there are a lot of things that overlap, and then there are some that don't. Um, if you're monolingual and you want to learn the French, uh, that might take longer. You know, um, but as far as advice getting into the industry as an actor. Uh, with dialect coaching or no I mean just in general like um because I know that a lot of this stuff is just afterthought and I think that the the question ultimately would be if you is there and we've already answered it it's like is there the benefit of just learning more than just how to say the lines in that language well here's the thing it's a great question so why do I love learning other languages? Well, because I get to be other people, right? So I was always kind of sort of in, sort of interested in writing. And then I lived in Spain and I started writing poems. I was like, where did this come from? Something about the Spanish language, probably the musicality and probably the fact that it wasn't my first language. So I was less self-critical and I could just get it out there. And then I got into it. I got to Italy and I wrote maybe a hundred poems, you know, and, and I didn't ever try to publish them, but they were appreciated. And, and it's just that every language has its own personality, its own vibe, its own energy. And by learning other languages, you get to explore other parts of your personality. You know, there's this great swear in Roman, and it's like the worst swear I know in any language. And it basically means fuck you and all your dead relatives. But, <laughs> I was on my motorcycle and I was in Rome. I lived in Rome for a few years and I was on my motorcycle and this elderly gentleman was walking through the crosswalk and I hadn't seen him. And you know, before I ran into him, which I didn't, he turned to me and he goes, and it was like, it just came from his, some, this primordial place. And I was like, I'll never forget that moment. You know, I might forget what I had for breakfast yesterday, but, but it's just this, you know, it's absorbing sounds. If you're a musician, you're into sound. It's about absorbing experiences and it's about really picking and choosing. It's funny you, you asked that question because that moment, that scene in the film, they're talking about that. It's sort of like, you know, this old school idea of America being the melting pot, right? You'd mix it all together and you'd become one, but it's really a mosaic. Mm. Because we don't always integrate, but you've got all these cultures, you know, in Queens, I lived in Astoria, Queens, and you walk down a couple blocks and there's a Colombian restaurant and then there's a Spanish restaurant and then there's a China, you know, and there's this little pocket populations. So it's really about getting exposure to the culture, whether that be music gestures, expressions, sounds, food, um, to, to, that you can pick and choose what you like and, and make that a part of you, again, to be a more 
tolerant, knowledgeable, worldly person who, who inevitably is less judgmental and more accepting, especially with these LA drivers, right? God. <laughs> Very true. Ugh. Yeah. And, and supposedly we're, we're the worst drivers from Boston? No, dude. No. No. It's oh great to hear God. you say that. Nope. Ugh. Out here it is just so, it's so aggressive Passively aggressive, I, like I, and I aggressively aggressive. Yeah, yeah no, it's, I mean, it's it's it's, it's cr- in Boston. I get it because the streets were built in a time period where it was just wagons and horses, and there isn't enough fucking room. No, but here, my whole thing is like you're one foot from my bumper, and I'm stuck in traffic, and you're mad at me, and you're about to. It's like, do, would you like to drive over my vehicle? I don't get it, but but anyway, so the whole thing of tolerance, and and you know, it's like putting yourself in someone else's shoes, and. Being in Japan for, you know, doing Japanese language for two weeks and, and seeing how the word order is almost 180% off is like you develop a, a tolerance for somebody's learning English as a second language and struggling with it. And rather than berating them, really just embracing their attempts, you know, and uh, but I mean, shit, it's like, what does my daughter have for dinner? She has tacos. I make pasta from Italy. We have baleadas. We have... Pumpkin pancakes. I mean, it's just like, talk about passion for food. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the other thing you get to learn about. And if you can ask for these things in that language, the person serving it to you is going to make more of an effort to make that taste good. You know, to, hey, shit, Which chef, is, don't, don't spit on this plate. Or, or like, <laughs> let's get this right out of the oven rather than letting it sit there. And but also people the way- just respond favorably to you around the world when you try to speak their language. Yeah. You know, and, and then the French have this reputation of, oh, like, don't even try. And they were so kind to me. I, was, I took a motorcycle trip from Rome all the way through France down to Andalusia in the south of Spain when I was living there. And I stopped in Nice. And I had basically like $40 a day for food, gas, lodging. And I was trying to get a one-month trip, you know, through Europe. And <clears throat> I stopped in this store, and in my broken French, I was like, you know, est-ce que je voudrais quelque chose pour le, le mozzarella? So all I had was money for, for mozzarella and tomato to make like a, a baguette with mozzarella tomato. And, and this guy gave me this five-pound block of ice to keep my little mozzarella fresh while I was sitting on the beach in, in the beach in Nice because I was trying to speak French. And he just gave it to me and I strapped it on my motorcycle and I went to the beach and I had this lunch and it was like, yeah, I mean, the worst thing that happens is you butcher a language and you ask for a big boob instead of a big envelope like I did in Rome you know, <laughs> at the top of my lungs. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's great though. It's really cool. And 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 uh, going back to that food thing, there's something if you can understand the food that they that they serve you, but also how they feel when they eat that food, based upon the way that they describe that food, which is fascinating. And I also find it interesting that, especially with Italy and, and Americans going to Italy, and then they come back and they start to try to, ad, to like adopt the. The emotion that goes behind what's being said and to kind of butcher the shit out of it, you know what I mean? But it's 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 fascinating, man. It's really cool. It's really cool. Well, you know, cappuccino means a little hood, which is why I get so pissed off if you order a cappuccino here. It's supposed to be like maybe 20% espresso, 60% hot milk, and 20% hood. Cappuccio, cappuccino. And here they'll make it like 40% espresso, 
10% hot milk and 50% foam, and then I'm putting three, four, five sugars in that thing, and I still can't drink it. So I just bought my own coffee machine. You know, so we make I make my wife a latte every morning. My daughter demands a kid's latte. You know, I'm a terrible parent giving my kid coffee at age four. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke for you, Liam. But <laughs> no, no, the kid's latte is just like hazelnut milk, and we yeah. froth it up. And if it's not frothed enough, she sends it back. <laughs> So there it is. I hope you guys uh, found a couple of new tools for that toolbox of yours, right? I know I did. I got some new tricks and techniques that I think I'm going to play with. And I think it's really cool to know Aaron. And he's a cool guy to be able to reach out to. We'll have all the links underneath. And I know he gets back to people. He's always looking for new people to work with. Uh, Just make sure that you got an actual project. Make sure that you're, you know, being serious about it before you send him questions. You know what I mean? Like, don't bug the guy. Go with him. Go go to him when you have something that's worth going to. And he didn't say that. I'm saying that. Be cautious. Be 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 smart about it. Um, but I, you know, I thought it was really cool, man. It's really cool to sit around and talk with another dude from Boston and, and really get nerdy on a microscopic level on a very specific job in this industry. And you know, on that episode with Mike Ambrose, we talk about how fun it can be to just be a technician on one of these films. And when I say just be a technician. It's, it's not just, it's, it's just not the fucking sexy thing. Like, right. Like I said earlier in the beginning of the show, how many times you walk by video village and not know what half the people with headphones do. That's on you, man. That's not on them. That's on you. You don't know what they do. And if you're going to even think about directing, you got to learn all this shit, man. And if you dig deep and you learn from the experiences that we're giving you, you might know something next time you get hired to do something. And there's someone that has to speak a specific dialect or you're hiring someone that you want to have an accent for understand that it takes a little bit of time to do so understand that there's a benefit to having them understand the language a bit more than just repeating what i say say it like this say it like this because it's hard for them to improv it's hard for them to find the emotion in doing it that way so it's interesting shit i'm fascinated with it i know i'm gonna have uh, multiple language in my next couple of films so I think it's uh, something cool and I'm probably going to give Aaron a call and be like yo how, how does this work so thanks for listening guys uh, I really appreciate it um, it's been a long week we've been busting our asses loading up these episodes uh, these are all recorded ahead of time because we're just trying to build a queue I have a bunch of different projects that are coming down the down the pipeline What's today? Today's early February. So we have stuff that we're going to be doing at the end of February. Um, And we're going to try to bring you new things, new, bigger, better things, new ways to support the show. Um, Lots of new stuff coming out. So I'm tired. If you can't tell, my voice is tired. So I think this is it. I think this is where I, uh, I fade off. You know, I might just go crawl into the kitchen. My uncle just dropped off a whole bunch of wild boar. So I'm going to try to figure out how to cook that tomorrow. Anyway, that's it, man. just want to say thank you for listening to the show, and uh, I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>